Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Crime World with me, Nicola Talent, is coming to your town with live shows across the country. Following our flagship show, Omerta, almost sold out at the Olympia Theatre Dublin on April 27th, we're taking to the road with promoter MCD. We'll be in the INEC Killarney on April 30th, Dolans of Limerick on May 3rd and in Belfast Limelight on May 17th. Then it's on to Cork at Cypress Avenue on May 18th and finally Galway, where we will perform at Monroe's on May 19th. For tickets, check venue websites. Omerta, the sacred secret code of the underworld. But what happens to those who break it? They describe Eden Gasson in, in, in a statement as one of the world's most prolific drug traffickers. They say he's a native of Sarajevo. And in addition to n- narcotics trafficking efforts across multiple countries, Gasson's cartel is involved in money laundering and is closely linked to the Kinahan Organised Crime Group, a transnational criminal organisation previously designated by the office. I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Almost a year since the dramatic US sanctions of the Kinahan organisation and its leadership, Bosnian mob boss Eden Gassanen has been named alongside the Irish mob as a business partner, now under the same financial restrictions. Gassanen, who heads the Tito and Dino cartel, is originally from Sarajevo, but lived most of his life in the Netherlands. His outfit formed part of the so-called European super cartel, headed up by Daniel Kinahan. So what does it mean and what effects are the sanctions having 12 months on? Will the United Arab Emirates ever hand up Daniel Kinahan, his father Christy Sr. and his brother Christopher Jr.? And why is his right-hand man, Sean McGovern, still living freely in Dubai, despite a warrant issued here for him on murder charges? Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the international effort to dismantle a trans-global cartel and about the progress being made across the world against Ireland's most prolific organised crime group. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So, what's been going on with the entire Kinahan situation out in the United Arab Emirates, the US sanctions? We're coming up to a year 
in April that those sanctions were levelled here in Dublin against the Kinahan organisation, which was an absolutely extraordinary story at the time. But everything seems to have gone quite quiet at the moment and usually things go dark before something happens. But Well, this week, um, actually, get alerts on my Google alerts. Um, we saw Kinahan pop up and in, in it, was, it was actually very, not widely reported. Yeah. But the US Treasury, um, the office of foreign assets control, sanctioned one of uh, Daniel Kinahan's key allies, a guy called Eden Gassadin that we've spoken about before, mm. regarded as the, the head of the Tito and Dino cartel. Um, and he was put on uh, the US sanctions list almost coming up to a year after Daniel was. And uh, interestingly, you know, it just shows you that the Americans still have a focus on, on Kinahan because we've heard various bits about the the super cartel of which Eden Gassanin will be regarded as as one of the very much the heads. But sort of the, the Kinahan links have maybe been not as prominent. But you see in, in this this uh, statement put out by the US government, the Kinahan cartel are front and centre in it. Um, they describe Eden Gassanin in, in, in a statement as one of the world's most prolific drug traffickers. They say he's a native of Sarajevo. Um, and in addition to narc narcotics trafficking efforts across multiple countries, Gassadin's cartel is involved in money laundering and is closely linked to the Kinahan Organised Crime Group, a transnational criminal criminal organisation previously designated by the office. So they're putting them front and centre. Yeah, they're naming them <coughs> in the Eden Gassanin sanctions. And Gassanin, so the, 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 the super cartel, which they refer to, or we refer to, the DEA, I think, came up with that when they started investigating. And that was made up of Daniel Kinahan, Eden Gassanin, Raphael Imperiali and Ridwan Taji. Yeah. So four. Four gangs. Um, Gassanin is, is born in Bosnia, Herzegovina, but he has also uh, Dutch nationality. So they, he's, he's, he lived a lot, most of his life, I think, in, in, in Holland, in the Netherlands, but has a very tight network in, in the Balkans area. Um, Taji is the head of the, what's called the Morocco Mafia, which are, which are also based um, in, in Holland, but have ties with North Africa. Um, Raphael Imperiale was uh, a, a member of uh, a mafioso, basically. Um, and all of these people, including Daniel Kinahan and, and, and his father, were all based in Amsterdam um, around the turn of the century and seemed to have all built up ties there and from there went on to be to control. Well, they, they describe it as one third of the cocaine trade in, 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 in Europe. So basically became the biggest operators um, dealing directly with, with the South American cartels, um, directly trafficking drugs uh, into Europe on transporter ships mostly. And they have as part of that, become very much to the attention of the Americans and the Drug Enforcement Agency. Now, the sort of the first out of that super cartel to fall was Ridwan Taji. We have uh, featured him a number of times on the podcast. So he is this Moroccan Dutch. He has a similar sort of background maybe to Daniel Kinahan in that he started sort of small as a street dealer and very quickly became a millionaire and then a billionaire through cocaine. It's yeah. all cocaine. Now, he has been behind bars in the Netherlands in the top security Vucht prison where he uh, continued 
it suspected to run his organisation while he faced trial along with uh, a number of his gang members, including his right-hand man called Syed Razuki, who was extradited from Colombia yep. to face trial alongside him. But there's about 15 or 16 members of, mm. of Taji's group and they're, they're, the Dutch prosecutors are seeking life sentences for a number of them, including Taji and Razuki. Um, it's to do with six murders and to do with organised crime and all this. And the Marengo trial is the biggest the Netherlands has ever seen. It's um, go- ongoing in a bunker. The Dutch seem to hear a bit of evidence and then adjourn for a while and then hear a bit of evidence. It's been going on for a long time and I must go back to it actually to our colleague Jan Mayus and ask him where, where it's at at the moment because um, they were expecting it to be the longest trial in the history of the Netherlands, etc. Taji when brought back from Dubai and he was captured there and very publicly sent back to the Netherlands in December of 2019. Um, he has sort of rallied against the foundations of the, the well, state look, in the Netherlands since he, he was jailed. Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely declared war on, on civil society. Um, probably not, in a, in a way, not dissimilar to the Pablo Escobar approach, which is... You know, he's shown that he's willing to threaten and kill not just or, not just other criminals involved in in the game, but you know judges, solicitors, mm. politicians. Um, he's effectively declared war on on the state, and as a result, he's probably ended up behind bars a lot quicker than the others because the state states can't tolerate that. Where witnesses are being killed. And people have come forward as witnesses have been killed. Their family members have been killed. It's 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 been shocking to say the least that the most damage, in a way, he's caused to ordered society has been from behind bars. Yeah. I mean, while he has was directing this criminal organisation from Dubai for years, from the luxury out there and the safety of the United Arab Emirates, since he became imprisoned in the Netherlands. He's suspected of being responsible for the murder of the brother of a state witness, of a criminal lawyer who was shot dead on the doorstep of his home, and of a journalist, a very famous journalist called Peter Ordevries, who was assassinated in Amsterdam as he left a television station. And Ordevries was working with the state witness who's giving evidence against him. Now, following his murder, there was a major crackdown. It was discovered that Taji was actually passing notes through a lawyer, a a family member, um, and was giving, they believe, instructions from the jail. He had sort of found a loophole in how to communicate to the outside world. Um, And ongoing investigations are happening around all those murders. But at one point... What I find the most extraordinary is that the, the Dutch president, Prime Minister Root, was under 24-hour security yeah. from this guy. It's incredible. Um, it just shows you the, the, the reach and also the maybe the ambition. Um, it's very different, of course, in Eden Gasson. Uh, there's a very direct uh, difference. Yes. Um, because he has eaten gasoline since he's since they've all become the target of, of, of the so US. So he was arrested in Dubai, was he? But he was arrested in Dubai in, in November. Yeah. As it was uh, called, was it called Operation Desert Storm That's or something right. like that? Yeah. Um, there was around 40 people arrested in Dubai as part of an investigation into this uh, uh, super cartel. And um, they were taken into custody, loads of 
there was loads of seizures across Europe as in connected with it. But Eden Gassanin is in, in a very different situation than Taji because for two things. Firstly, he he's wanted by the Dutch authorities. He was held in custody for, I think, three weeks. Um, the Dutch had requested for him to be extradited. However, he seems to have got out on bail. Um, it's all quite murky. They're, the Dutch prosecutors have given some statements to the media over there in which they, they they were forced to deny reports that they hadn't put the extradition papers in properly. Um, Eden Gassenen was, and in the meantime, Eden Gassenen is let out. Um, he's also, unlike Taji, he, over the last few years, when this investigation has been ongoing, he has, <clears throat> according to papers in, in local papers, he's arrived back in the Balkans on numerous occasions. There was reports that uh, he was, while he arrived back, he was met by uh, government people who protected mm. him and had armed guards outside. So he's in a different position. Um, this is ultimately the problem, really, with, you know, policing organised crime, because, and if you speak to officers that are working up the chain in the most high level sort of international cooperation stuff. The problem is they're relying on sort of the the honesty and the the, the sort of non-corruptibility of countries that just aren't functioning like our own, you know. Yeah. And, you know, look, the United Arab Emirates, there is very mixed feelings on them. While they look sometimes as if they're cleaning up, the fact of the matter is that Daniel Kinahan is still living openly there, despite the fact that nearly one year ago there was a warrant issued for the arrest for Sean McGovern for the murder of Noel Duckegg Kerwin. They seem to have failed yet to pick him up. And yet I can speak to people who know where McGovern is in yeah. the Emirates. None of them have left. Daniel Kinahan is openly um, socialising and, and living in Dubai and still kind of knocking around with people that would have tried to distance themselves from him at the time of the sanctions. And he still seems to, um, according to very informed sources, have tentacles into boxing. Yeah, I mean, so... so And, and funnily enough, Eden Gasolin also was one of these guys who has some sort of tentacles into the fight game and was appearing mm. in gyms with professional fighters. So... I think in, in, in the Emirates, we don't fully know, of course, what's going on. But some people like Daniel Kinnahan seem to have, have had tentacles into ordinary society over there. They've had contacts with people, business people, people in the royal family. Yeah. And that seems to have given them a huge amount of protection. Um, and that still exists despite the, the sanctions, despite the requests from this country and others to, for the return of him and the, and the brothers, despite the fact that the US have them on wanted posters with, you know, a $5 million reward for information to their business dealings. And I, I was actually speaking to somebody recently who, who knows what they're talking about, unlike myself, but they had a very... Uh, funny way of describing how Daniel Kinnan wasn't as as polite as you've described it that he had associations with. Yeah. It was that he had his nose somewhere yeah. fairly far up, uh, you know, people in authority in the Emirates. And I think that no matter what happens going forward and when it is decided to finally, you know, pick him up and hand him back, that has been the case yeah. Since the Kinnahans went out to the Emirates and whether that's the brainchild of the father, Christy Kinnahan, who's proved himself to be an extremely intelligent man, whatever else, uh, or Daniel Kinnahan, they knew how to go at the Emirates. They knew how to, um, 
you know, flash their money in the right places. They knew how to involve Emiratis in their business dealings as directors of their companies. They knew the rules, the regulations and the loopholes in them. And they prospered. They have prospered. And I think in recent times, um, there has been a bit of it did the, the stink of organized crime in, in, in Dubai got a bit too big and the authorities over there have been forced to take a bit of action. Um, and so they have got rid of, they have extradited a number of people. But a lot of those people have been, uh, you know, the most sort of brutal and violent criminals who are literally just living there and spending money. Mm. Um, some of the people that have been, there's a lot of other people there uh, that have never been gone near. And if they're spending money and involved in business, they seem to be given a degree of protection. Mm. Um, so, they well, have... of course, that's before we come to the Italian. Yes. Because Raphael Imperiale, of course, who's the last member of that, uh, you know, so-called super cartel, he could bring the whole place down because he has been returned to, the, uh, to Italy. Uh, now, again, his extradition from the UAE wasn't that simple because uh, the Italian justice minister had to actually get involved. He was arrested and then released over there. Yeah, and the Italian justice minister actually flew over yeah. to Dubai to try and uh, make sure it happened. Um, so, yeah, Raphael Imperiale has, but he's since become a state witness. Now, I don't know if that means exactly what it means over here. Um, he certainly is giving a lot of information about his own activities. Whether he's giving everything about everybody else, it's not fully clear, I think. You know? Well, what, what, what appears to be the case for the moment is that the only sort of information that's come out from Italy about who he is giving information about is the Italians and yeah. the operations of the Camorra and other mafias there. But that's not to say that he won't be... Um, helpful to other international uh, jurisdictions who are looking for... I mean, there's no reason to say that uh, he wouldn't turn an informant for the US authorities or that, you know, it all becomes political when it gets to that level because obviously this guy is given information and has information. If the Americans want him, they'll do some sort of a wrangle with the Italians and yep. it'll all be at a much higher level than ordinary policing. Yeah, this becomes political, doesn't it? It does. It becomes absolutely political, and I mean, the Americans, the focus of American the DEA on on these uh, European drug dealers, I think, is a bit surprising. But it just shows you, I suppose, how how uh, structurally important they have become for the international drugs trade, and um, how they're funding the, the the South American operations effectively, and that obviously has a, a knock on impact on on the US. Uh, Imperiale, some of the evidence he's given is really fascinating because he, he effectively says at a certain point in time he became less and less involved in in the drug side of it but really what he was working on I think he said was the movement the the money the flow of in, of the money because mm. that was the most difficult bit flowing the, the money changes are the key to international drugs trafficking he's saying yeah and that became a huge part of his business moving money between jurisdictions arranging for payments, all of that kind of stuff nearly became the more difficult part of his job, uh, which is which is fascinating. Um, which brings us to Johnny Morrissey. Yes. And uh, where he is in the, um, in the whole scheme of things, because he was, of course, very dramatically arrested in Spain under that operation. 
Well, I don't know if I think it was a slightly different operation, was it? But it was, it was a Spanish-based, yes, kind European, of thing. but connected all both connected to the to the ultimate goal of the the, the super cartels operations across Europe. Yeah. And I mean, he was obviously the main money man. He was left behind in Spain, where, of course, despite the fact the Kinahan organization migrated to Dubai, they still had been so, you know, they'd been in Spain for so long and had so much investment and money there that they yep. couldn't just literally shut down shop and move. So they left the like of Johnny Morrissey and others there to keep. It still probably is their ultimate headquarters yeah I mean Spain. It, exactly and the money has to end up in Europe ultimately and um, they have to collect their their, their selling and within the continent they have to collect the money and and they have to get it back and get pay, people paying in South, South America and, and get some money to themselves so Johnny Morrissey uh was their key figure there he 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 was uh, a notorious criminal figure from the UK mm-hmm. um in his late 50s and uh he became trusted using this. Can you pronounce it now at this stage? Hawala. Hawala. Yeah, I can so. pronounce everything <laughs> at this stage, except some of those. Yeah, some of those names I kind of stumble over. Yeah, but yeah, Hawala. So basically, this is this is Hawala. Yeah. Oh, that's really well said. Well, thanks very much. Hawala. Thank you. Yeah, my first compliment in a while. <laughs> but um, so basically. Uh, because of the, the Islamic traditions around banking, which is kind of, uh, you know, the banking banking has been an issue in, in terms of the religious background. So they worked, they, there was a system built over generations called Hawala, where people, mm. it was an honour system, basically, where you're not lending money from bank from a bank and paying an interest rate, but where you would give money and that would be accepted and you would rely on the honour, the word of honour of somebody. Hawala Dars, I think Dars they're called, and right. they are they exist all over the world and basically they're a kind of a human being who is a bank yeah. and they agree to give somebody 200,000 yeah. and they're owed it then and the money yeah. just keeps transferring in the same way as the normal banking system, but of course there's no paper trail. There's no paper trail and... Like it's proven reliable over generations, so it became a. a but I mean, do you know what I don't understand about it? And I have asked a few times, and maybe it's I'm just being a bit thick, but I can understand how that would work on a sort of a semi-normal level mm. of money transfers. But the kind of money these guys are making—I mean, billions. Yeah. Loads of zeros there. I mean, and do they produce this money in cash? I people don't have cash anymore. You know. Well. I mean, a lot of it has to be cash, doesn't it? Doesn't, but I mean, on some like, at some point, uh, if you were like one of Daniel Kinahan's men, say yeah. I'm working here, or women, right? Yeah. Okay, I'll take myself. Mm. Say I'm working for Daniel Kinahan, and I've made, you know, I, I I've made a million, yeah. in profits, and I want the money. Yeah, like what? Am I actually given that in cash, or am I given it in currency, like cars, like Rolex watches, like apartments, or you know? Some of it, I'm sure, I'm given in cash. I think it has to be a mixture of all things, yeah. you know? I mean, and cash, then what do I do with that? I go around with a watch on my arm and cash that I'm... Like, do you... Like, your cash... Like, if you try and give cash sometimes in a supermarket now, people look at you like... Well, I know, I know even on a very low-level, street-dealing level, people, uh, you know, drug-dealing, a lot of it has been done through Revolut. That's no yeah. thing on Revolut, but... So that system 
where people are are ordering drugs yeah. of a very small level and they're paying money into a Revolut account. Yeah. So, I mean, even, you know, people are ordering drugs late at night by phone yeah. and paying Revolut, Revolut and, yeah. and getting drugs well, that would make the, sense. dropped to the door. I must be the last person on the planet that doesn't have a revolution. I'm going to get it. Not for my buying drugs, but I, I, I hasten to add. Yeah, I hasten to add. But yeah, no, it's interesting because I was just listening to um, details of a sentence hearing recently in the North and they were, you know, discussing drug deals and there was drugs coming up from the South, there was drugs coming in from the UK, there was money moving across the border and into the UK. And of course, the problem is that weird Northern Ireland currency, which, yeah. uh, you know, even sometimes if you go up the North and you get it, you know, you, you take cash out or whatever yeah. you have it, you can't use it in the UK. Yeah. So it's a little bit tricky for them and probably, you know, causes problems. You could hear them, you could hear from the evidence that they were, you know, would somebody take the cash in Northern currency? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, wanted British sterling or wanted euro, Euros. you know. It's got to be sort of problematic cash. And of course, they have all these cryptocurrencies and all the rest of it, which are coming more and more in. But that whole idea of these Hualadars, they have to be, they have to have different currency than just cash. Because where would you even store cash? Well, I mean, that has been a problem, of course. And we've seen that in, for, for the drug gangs in recent times. We've had huge seizures of cash across this country. Yeah. Um, Vacuum-packed bills. It's proven a hugely... Uh, the guards have seized them again and again and again. I mean, huge. Cash is almost an irritant to them. It is an irritant, but it is still the the, the safest way to 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 do business. Uh, and so they are, it, the movement of it though is proving to be a difficult thing. Yeah. And they're obviously losing five hundred thousand or whatever. We've seen those massive, massive seizures. Yeah. So still, a lot of it has to be done on on one level. There has to be cash moved across the mm -hmm. across countries, country lines, and that that poses a risk itself. And of course, Bomber Kavanagh proved how he did it when when he was nabbed because he was bringing the drugs in in um, you know specially adapted giant big industrial machinery, and that same piece of machinery was then being filled with cash and transported back. So he was actually yeah. you know using the same route to get the cash back and the drugs in and you know guns and whatever else. But um, you know. Loading all that cash, storing it, and uh, trusting people with it. Like if I, like I, I, you know, if if <laughs> if there was a big pile of cash there in front of us now, yeah, would you? And it was all in those bundles. You see, would you not be tempted to? Not me, Nicola, not? because I'm all, I'm such such a person of great self control <laughs> and uh, modest uh, modest ambition. I could no. see myself getting into trouble if I had it all in the car or uh, something well, was in the boot, and I just go, they no, wouldn't miss this amount, no, and then I'd go off to Brown Thomas and treat myself to something. Yeah, I'd yeah. get killed, wouldn't I, if I was working in the drug well, world? I, if I ever have a million in cash, I would not leave. No, it. don't leave it in my hands. <laughs> no. Now, Commissioner Drew Harris was asked recently about the situation with the Kinnahans and he basically said that the Gardaí have not taken their eye off the ball and there's more action to come against the cartel. He said that um, Gardaí are working with their Europol partners and with the Americans and the DEA. Now, we know all that. And I don't expect to know what is going on because if I did, then obviously Daniel Kinahan and the rest of them would. Yeah. So, you know, we are operating on the basis that we know there's an awful lot going on in the background. We genuinely don't know what it is or what's happening. Um, but we do know that Kinahan is still living it up 
out in Dubai. He hasn't left, despite the regular reports that he's been moving around the globe. Um, my understanding is that he has not and that his only safe and his last safe refuge is in Dubai and in the Emirates. Yeah, I mean, there's really... still appears to be under some sort of protection by authorities there. I mean, that's their best bet, isn't it? it I is. mean, there is very little places to go. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with Christy Sr. had a maybe a getaway route to Zimbabwe uh, planned. But I mean, that's what you're talking about. These countries that are kind of beyond the the, the, the pale of normal democracies. Um, there was somebody, somebody was telling me he, he'd heard uh, Daniel Kinnan had gone to Afghanistan, <laughs> which I thought was, oh, for goodness was very sake. unlikely. Very. But I mean, um, but I mean that like it 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 did kind of highlight the fact that this is where that this is what they're left with, yeah. you know. I wonder, like, if you're in that position and mm. that's what you're left with, that mm. you mm. know, to stay on the run and yeah. to uh, you know, you go out to the hills like like Osama bin Laden mm. did mm. what did once and hide out in these caves in yeah. Afghanistan. I wonder, do you get to a point that you go look? I'll tell you what. I'll take my chances I'll take my in court. chances in court. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think... I you don't have to give up at some stage, surely, do you? Yeah, but I don't think they're going to be running uh, from Dubai no. if, if the law comes calling, I think. that's uh, they're, they're just obviously still hopeful that yeah. their influence out there will um, buy them whatever time. Yeah, they can resist extradition or... That they or, can just live there for the rest of their days. That's yeah. their biggest yeah, and only hope. Yeah. What the rest of the world, uh, certainly Europe and America say, is that ain't happening, that it's a matter of time before they're they're brought back. And look, we know that the Gardaí here have been working for years on a case in relation to Daniel Kinahan, that they're still collating information. They're still hopeful of going to the DPP and getting charges for him here in this country. Um, the Spanish money laundering looks most likely to me to be where Christy Kinahan and his son Christopher Jr. will end up. The Americans want them um, and certainly want information as re- regarding them. So that's another safety net should anything not happen either here or in Spain. Um, so that's... Yeah, I don't think they're going to end up in a cave in Afghanistan. I don't think they're going to no. end up in a cave. Where would you like, you know, yeah, it'd be very... Basic, wouldn't it? It would be very basic. There's no I mean, plugs or anything. <laughs> yeah. So no, I think I think it's they 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 will mount a rigorous legal challenge, but I think that's the day will come when they'll and of course well they will be faced with that one way or another. So interested to see what Johnny Morrissey does. Yeah, I really am. I mean, we'll have to get on and see what's happening with him in Spain. He is. Uh, in a very high security jail. If you've ever spoken to anybody who's been in jail in Spain, it ain't nice. Um, they can be freezing cold and boiling hot and there's very, very dangerous criminals, obviously, in them. He's supposed to be uh, in this Alhuran de Lectora, which I think is near Malaga and that was the jail that housed Christopher Sr. and the two sons when they were arrested along with John Cunningham back in 2010. Um it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's blockages on phone things in it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's not a very pleasant place. So Johnny Morrissey, who loved the high life for so long, um, you know, he's a lot to think about there, hasn't he? I mean, he's a lot of knowledge. He's a survivor. His wife is remains under investigation, even though she was arrested and, and released without charge. He's got 
a lot of kids out there who are, you know, looking to him as their yeah, young provider. And, um, you know, personally, you think about, I suppose, we talk about the shows we're doing, Omerta being the, the topic of them. And, um, I think, I you think, know, you think about, do yeah. you do you stick with that Omerta when you're faced with the rest of your life behind jail? Well, Behind bars, rather? I suppose as well, if people are, it's one thing for, say, somebody like we were talking about, Barry Young, who's 37, and he's he's pled guilty to a serious charge of directing criminal gang, but he will be out again. And yeah. A relatively young man. If Johnny Morrissey is convicted of serious offences, that won't be the case. Uh, so, mm. would you would you, would you you go? Would I rat? Is would that you what you thing? Yeah, look, survival is the basic instinct of every human being. And um, if you feel that, if you'd feel that your life was going to end in prison um, and that that was going to also be so disruptive and to your family, would your survival instinct kick in and would you do the best for yourself? I think probably lots of people would, no matter how tough guy they are. Remember Johnny Morrissey, of course, set up a company, didn't he? About uh, an internet company about catching rats. Jesus, you're right, yeah. And he flew off to, was it the Cayman Islands or somewhere like that, to register it. And it was an internet site where people could download. They were going to be outed as being rats. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What was it called? Rat.com. <laughs> yeah, it was something, something like that. Ratty rat. So, I mean, like it would be going against the code that he has not only probably lived by, but... yeah expected others to live by very publicly. Yeah. So I don't know. It'll be, uh, but then again, we've seen in, in obviously in even more structured, organized criminal organizations in the in the US where people have turned informer and then become YouTube stars even more than. Yeah. So, so you know, there's, there's you, you wonder where the loyalty lies and yeah. all. Um, but look, Eden Gassinan, so sanctioned and we'll see what that, what comes of him and where he is and what happens next, because this is an ongoing story that we could return to every month and have something new to kind of add to it. Um, and eventually there will be that explosive chapter. I have absolutely no doubt when so. all eyes will be back on the Kinahans and what's, what's next for them. I think so too. Okay, Niall, thanks. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.